0: into the glossy beauty podcast I'm your host Priya Rao and here with me today is Ron Robinson the founder and CEO of beautystat hi Ron how are you
1: hey Priya so excited to be here with you today
0: I'm so excited Ron because I think I've said this to you before but you know ever since you started this line I feel like I've been an admirer of yours from afar and I think all of our conversations have been over Instagram DM or or you know, over email. It's not a lot of in-person time. So we get a lot, we're going to hear a lot about you from myself for the first time, as well as our audience. Ron, tell me a little bit about your background. You know, I noticed this past weekend that you were, uh, your Wikipedia page had populated online as well. And you started in beauty as a cosmetic chemist, which, you know, up until now, I don't think a lot of um, founders or CEOs have come from that sector of the beauty industry.
1: Yeah, I agree. It's, it, I think it's what has really set us apart. But Priya, I think it's important to understand my background and how, how I became a cosmetic chemist. This is a field that I had no idea existed when I graduated from college. I actually had family pressure to become a doctor. I've, my mom was a nurse. She wanted to be a doctor. And you know she had she had four boys. Two of the four became a doctor. And then I went to med school because I didn't know what else to do and dropped out of med school, moved back in with my parents and really disappointed them. My mom was really heartbroken with the fact that I dropped out of med school, had no idea what I wanted to do. So I started to send out a bunch of resumes because I had a chemistry and biology degree and Estee Lauder's Clinique division called me in for an interview. So I got, I drove up, this is out on Long Island, New York where the Estee Lauder Clinique labs are based I had this fantastic interview. They loved my background and curiosity about beauty and understanding that this is the first time I really understood that there was a whole science and chemistry behind developing cosmetics and skincare. and I was blown away. They hired me on the spot, and that's how I really fell into the beauty industry. But I want to go back to my mom for one second because, remember, she was really disappointed in the fact that I dropped out of med school. So. So I'm at Clinique for a few months, goes into a year. And then all of a sudden I started to bring home some beauty products that I was formulating for the Clinique brand. Her expression when I gave her this bag of skincare was it was so pure, it was pure joy and excitement. And that's when I realized that that beauty really makes people happy. And my mom for that time forgave me in that moment she totally forgave me for dropping out of med school and after that it became ron where is my skincare where is my perfume and that's all she wanted to know after that so that's how i fell into the industry and became this you know this cosmetic chemist and this is going back in 1990
0: you know it's so funny that you say that because i feel like a lot of people in beauty it's very happenstance you know i don't think that a lot of us knew the that these careers existed um, and i'm wondering for you ron you know did your mom or was your mom rather a beauty junkie. Prior to this, was she interested in beauty? Were you even aware, like as a consumer, that this was something people wanted and and you know were wrapped for?
1: Totally, it's a great question. It's only it's only looking at it after I started working in beauty that I realized my mom loved skincare, she loved makeup, she loved fragrance, and she was a beauty junkie. So that's and I didn't it didn't come together until I started in the business. And then, of course, when I gifted her all of the products that I was working on, did I see that joy, that love for beauty? And 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 that's what really drives me in this business. It's being able to give and, and see the joy that beauty brings, and you know, it makes me want to deliver and create great products that consumers love and can't live without.
0: So, tell me a little bit about what happened after your clinic experience. So, you were at Estee Lauder for a while, and then what happened?
1: So I spent I spent about ten years working at the estee lauder co- companies, so including Clinique and Mer, and developing products for those those big brands. And then I started to think, you know, what else is out there aside from the estee lauder companies? I, I made a big move, which at the time, you know, this is a time when you know people spent decades at a company. There's, they didn't, it was, this is before the jumping around, oh, I'm going to do a two years here and two years there. You know, when I left after 10 years at the Estee Lauder company, it was a big deal because Estee Lauder was at the top of the game, the number one and number two brands in, in, in the world. And I'm here I go, I go and decide, I want, I want to see more. And I, and I went and left to go to Revlon and that was a big deal. So I spent time at Revlon, Avon, L'Oreal, Lancôme, yeah, so basically about 25 years working for a lot of big beauty brands. And I got to learn prestige, mass market, direct selling. And I really got a feel for the different channels that consumers can shop for beauty. And it was a, really a great experience just learning all those different types of, of products and brands for a lot of big companies.
0: You know, tell me a little bit, Ron, about the way the customers changed over that time, as well as the way the brands have changed over that time. Before we t- start talking about Beautystat, I would love to hear, you know, what it felt like going from a brand that maybe talked at the consumer to now starting a brand where you're communicating with the consumer and they're part of the conversation and informing what you do.
1: Oh, my goodness. So Priya, it's important to note that I started in the business before the internet, <laughs> <laughs> So that's how, old, that's how old I am. That's how long I've been in this industry. So we had, we didn't. I couldn't go and oh, let me check online and Google this and Google that. This, the internet didn't exist. Like, this is 1990. You, there, we didn't have that the type of data that we have. We didn't have the social platforms where I can go check out what trends are coming out of this place or that place. You know how we got data back then? We went out to the shopping malls and we we. St- we we really was, we stood up there with clipboards and waited for consumers to pass by. We'd stop them. Hey, I'd love to offer you a, a gift card or something if you just answer some questions. And that's how we learned about what consumers were looking for from for beauty in terms of you know were they was the products meeting their expectations? What did they want to see that, that wasn't out there? And that's how we got, learned and gathered data. So it was a lot more difficult it was tough to see what was going on out there. We had to do a lot of work to get information. So times have changed. Absolutely. And
0: what about from the brand perspective, you know, the brand being the expert, you know, that founders were coming to the forefront. When did you start noticing that, you know, people wanted that more than say a legacy brand or a heritage brand that had been around for 50 years or 30 years?
1: Yeah, and so this has been, this evolution is really a lot recent in terms of who are the experts? I think, you know, you know before consumers used to trust their, their influencer, their blogger, but now as a lot of misinformation has been being, being shared, consumers are getting more savvy. They're looking for the truth. They're looking for credible resources. And that's where the first, the dermatologist emerges, the expert. They were the go-to. And that was, you saw know, so a lot of doctor brands emerge because of that trend. Now, as we're learning and the consumer is learning, okay, the dermatologist, they could treat my a skin disease or skin infection or concern that I might have, but who's formulating the product? Who, who really knows the ingredients? Who is in the lab mixing and creating the products that I'm going to use? And that's where I think this the cosmetic chemist is being... Has emerged is and now recognize, oh, that's the person. That's the job that is really knows every ingredient. They're putting together the products, they know the percentages, they know the levels, and they're creating the aesthetics that consumers are looking for. So and and I launched this brand Beauty Stat three years ago and had no idea that I would have that type of consumer reception, if you will. You know, all of a sudden. You know, I thought I'd, I'd launched the brand with content creators and influencers being the face of the brand. But every time I stepped out in front of the camera and I, showed, I said to consumers, hey, this is vitamin C. This is why it's important to use in your skin care. Uh, this is why you need a stable form, that the consumers listened in. They asked questions. They were intrigued. They wanted to try it. They wanted to buy it. And I think that this is this is what's happened now with this cosmetic chemist becoming the new beauty expert.
0: Talk to me a little bit about, you know, the idea for Beauty Stat. Because as you said, it's about vitamin C. It's about, you know, the correct formulations. It's not sold so much on marketing. Um, you know, what was that opening like for you? Where did you see the white space?
1: Yeah, I, I think the, the white space came with my... You're, again, I'm a scientist. The yearning for data, and understanding whether or not there, there there's there's a need. You know, we talked about it's not it's not a lot of marketing. It's not because I I don't operate that way. I'm, I'm about facts and data. And what the data showed is that consumers were asking me, and there were and beauty editors were also asking me, Ron, why is vitamin C so hard to stabilize. Why does it oxidize? Why does it turn brown or turn orange and render a product ineffective? What can I do about that? How do I shop it in a right, in the right way? So that that type of question I would get again and again and again from consumers and from beauty editors and that's what got me thinking. What if I could stabilize pure vitamin C and deliver a product that didn't orange, didn't oxidize, that was able to stay effective from the first drop to the last drop, would that not be a breakthrough? So me and my cosmetic chemist team, we spent a few years tinkering around trying to formulate this type of product. And after, I think it was about five years, we we, we applied for patents, we got them issued. We found a formula that had great aesthetics and was rock solid stable. And the, the last piece in my quest for data and validation, it was actually sending this product for an independent clinical test. That was the last step. So we said, if we could get good results showing that not only is it pure and stable, but also effective, we've got something. So we wouldn't send it on an independent test. Then we went back to our day jobs and, you know, and then X amount of weeks, I think six, eight weeks went by, we get the results. Priya, I was blown away. Consumers saw significant improvement in almost every skin concern. And that's what prompted me to launch the brand Beauty Stat with a star vitamin C serum uh, three years ago in 2019.
0: What was the idea around the marketing then, Ron? Because you said you thought you were going to launch this brand and it was going to come out of the gate and it was around bloggers and influencers. And every time that I think of Beauty Set, I think of you. I think of your face on TikTok, on Instagram, on social media. I also think about like the branding on your site, the fact that it's like it says like cosmetic chemist formulated. You know, your story is so central um, to the brand. I'm wondering when that kind of come to Jesus happened for you. Like when did you say like, oh... I'm this brand. I'm I'm the person who's gonna really push it to the next level.
1: Yeah, it, it came, I think, a few months into the launch. It, Cause we were testing different creatives. We were deciding how how to steer our social. What did our look and feel wanna be like? And I, I envisioned that I would be more in the background. You know, given I'm a chemist, I'm like the lab rat, that I I I had no idea that I'd be the the face and spokesperson for the brand. So but an opportunity arose where I had, you know, G- Good Morning America asked if I would come on TV and talk about my story. And when consumers saw that, that's what changed. That was the pivotal moment where consumers were like, Who is this guy? I need to buy his products. This guy knows chemistry, he knows science. I've got to go and get and find out about this brand and try his products. And that was the turning point that. Shifted our strategy and made me, you know, you know, have to take off the lab coat every once in a while and then get out, get out there and talk to consumers and share it and help to educate them as well.
0: Was that challenging for you? Some people love it, you know. Some people love being in front of the camera. Were, were you a little maybe reticent, or or did you expect this was going to be part of your role? I,
1: I think I, I I tend not to like to. I guess the word the word is be the center of attention. I'm more of the listener, but in this case, consumers want to hear from me. They really want to hear from me. So I I feel compelled to do that because, again, if there's a a need out there, I want to help solve it and help to educate that. So I have to rise to the occasion. So I've become more and more comfortable with it because it's about the consumer. It's about about really helping and helping to, to educate and help you know, meet the consumer need and close need gap. So I think that's what has made me feel more comfortable with this, this new position that I have within the business.
0: Well, I think a lot of founders, especially during COVID, you know, stores were closed. It was all about IG lives or clubhouses. You know, <laughs> yes. founders really had to get up, 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 up in the forefront then. Ron, tell me a little bit about why vitamin C. You know, I know that's your hero product, but you've expanded beyond that why did you think if I'm going to come out of the gate, this is going to be the thing that I stand behind?
1: Purely because of the data. The consumers kept on saying, hey, I like vitamin C. I understand that it's going to do, for, do good for my skin, but I want a product that does not oxidize. So it was based on answering and closing a need gap that made me start there. What's What's interesting that happened with that, because it's you know it's all about the timing and the alignment of, of the stars. So Here we are launching a vitamin C product. Everyone, every brand has a vitamin C product. We think we have a real strong point of difference. And then pandemic happens. We have consumers really looking for self-care, looking for ingredients that are really going to benefit them. And then we've discovered that the searching, the search, the Google search for vitamin C and vitamin C series skyrocketed just at the time when we've launched our brand. So we certainly benefited from from the fact that consumers were recognizing and searching for vitamin C and looking for products that were really going to deliver results for that.
0: Tell me a little bit about your retail strategy, Ron, because I know that you started D2C and you were thinking about obviously these Google searches, this data that was in your hands. But how did you approach retail? What did you think was right for
1: you? yeah it's it's just interesting I, th- I thought that we would be a pure d2c brand that's how we started that where our, where our roots and origins started there but then certain real retailers started to reach out they saw that we were creating this cult following a lot yeah, another surprise that happened that sorry for the tangent consumers started to post photos with them actually holding our vitamin c serum they would. They felt there was an, a, a sense of pride that they discovered something that others ha- have not. And we saw. I, I was like, wow. I was kind of really blown away with the fact that consumers would would feel so proud and excited about holding holding our product. And and, and that is what got the attention of a lot of retailers. They're like, why? Are, what are consumers holding? What are these influencers and content creators holding? What is who is this beauty set? And and some you know our first, one of our first retailers was Violet Gray. They said, hey, we want to try that product and see if it fits our criteria. And a few weeks of testing, we were Violet Code approved, and we launched with Violet Gray. So that's what got the the snowball going from a retail perspective. A lot of other retails, oh, we saw you were on Violet Gray. We saw you got the Violet Code. And then one after another, the department stores, the pure plays, and now finally, ultimately, Ulta Beauty has, has taken us in, and we're launching nationwide with them.
0: Talk to me about Ulta because obviously that is the largest beauty retailer in the country. You had this cult status at Violet Gray, and that site has really launched several cult brands, you know, yourself included, Augustina Spader. You know, it seems like those brands are the brands that we're all talking about now, you know, from three years ago. And those brands are really dominating. Um, The retail space too. So, you know, how do you think that that maybe prepared you or exposed you for the Ulta buying team to come say, hey, Ron, sell in our stores?
1: It's, It's very interesting because again, I'm data oriented. So some feedback we got when we launched with some of the pure plays, including Violet Gray, consumers were saying, are you sold in any stores near me? So, and this is during the pandemic as well, and, po- and also now post-pandemic, consumers still want to be able to go in, touch and feel, and try products and experience beauty. So it was a, it was a really big les- lesson for us because I think we had this impression that, oh, brick and mortar is over. It's done. Consumers still want to experience, yeah, they'll buy online, but they also want to experience touching and feeling the products. So, so why Alta? Alta was a great partner for us in fact being able to allow us to be accessible to consumers nationwide and from the big cities to the smaller towns all across the United States they can they can experience a, a what I think is one of the best vitamin C serums so that was really key and they've really embraced us and I think it's been a, it's been a great partnership with Ulta Beauty
0: You mentioned a second ago that it was really the consumer and the influencers and the celebrities that were holding up the Beauty Stat bottle that got retailers' attention. I know Hailey Bieber, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, uh, is a huge fan, is probably your biggest fan, so much so that you were consulting on her brand now. But again, an aside, Um, I'm wondering about your own experience, though, Ron. Like, I mean, you worked at these mega companies for years. I imagine it wasn't too difficult to get a meeting with a buyer at Sephora or Ulta or Nordstrom? Or what was your experience there? Because some people really struggle with that and don't have that window to, you know, climb through.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's all the timing for us. Again, it was never the intention to go to go retail. We wanted to start direct-to-consumer. But then, again, retailers reached out. They saw the buzz. They saw the, this cult following that, that, that was growing. And I think the other thing with... Ulta Beauty specifically is that they recognize the fact that they wanted brands that have an expertise. And I think this contrasts to the celebrity trend we're seeing going where there's a feel like it's there's too many celebrities, there's too many celebrity brands, which ones are really true to really wanting and are passionate about developing beauty and which are just simply looking to cash in. And I think Ulta Beauty recognized that they wanted a, a, a expert-based company, especially in prestige skincare, the, that was about performance results. And that's why our, our partnership with Ulta Beauty has been, has been so good. They recognize that we filled a void that they, they previously did not have.
0: How is managing that relationship? Because as you said, Ulta Beauty is the biggest beauty retailer in the country, tons of stores, a huge online presence. You know, talk about a learning curve. What what have you found there and things that maybe you didn't expect or you didn't maybe see on the cosmetic side of the, cosmetic chemist side of the business that you're now seeing as a founder and a CEO?
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's very interesting. So so here I am coming out of the lab and now I'm also engaging and, and working and partnering, partnering with a big retailer in a very serious way. So yes, I'm still developing and creating for the brand, but I'm also Helping to work on, you know, what type of promotions can we do with Ulta Beauty sampling, and of course I have a great team that's supporting me there. But I'm also very involved as well, so it, it's really, it's really stretched my experience level in a great way. And I, and I think the the, the the connecting thread there, whether I'm in the lab or if I'm working with a big retailer, is is solving problems with creative solutions. And I think that's the thread that that really continues to, to span my career. And I, I, I love the opportunity. I love the, I love being able to work on that side as well.
0: Retailers typically want newness all the time, Ron. And I know that the vitamin C serum was really your hero product, but you've expanded well beyond that. Tell us what your philosophy is for product expansion, whether for your DDC site and exclusives there, or also for your retail partners.
1: Data, consumer data, it always it always goes back to the consumer. What is the consumer looking for? What's, what's the problem he or she might have with the with current skincare out there or beauty products that are out there? How can we come in and solve, even if what some in some cases so it's a wide gap, like, like like uh stabilizing vitamin C, or sometimes it's a smaller gap. And I think we just launched our, our new our universal triple action daily peel product. So this is an at-home chemical peel, and the learning there was that consumers, yeah, they love the results of our vitamin C serum, but some of them, you know, are impatient. They don't want to wait four weeks plus to get results. What could we do that would give them results a little bit faster? Give them a little lift sooner, and you know, provide that more of that instant gratification. So that's what got got me thinking about it. what if we launched something that was a more instantaneous in terms of this uh, chemical peel type of product. So that's what prompted the launch of that. Again, going back to data, what do consumers want? We're, what are the gaps out there? And how can we solve it? Because a lot of us have the same data. We may know, oh yeah, I want to solve dark circles. I want to I address wrinkles. But what is the unique chemical ingredient formula technology that's going to solve that issue that's going to be really compelling to the consumer. And that's where, that's where the creative, the creativity comes in for me in terms of what ingredients, what can we do that has not been done and how do we put it together in something that's really going to be, that's really going to delight the consumer from an aesthetics perspective, as well as a performance perspective.
0: You mentioned um, a minute ago, you know, the, the rise of the dermatologist and the rise of the expert Founder, and you certainly are an expert yourself, uh, Ron. And it seems like the space is really getting much more crowded. You know, it's not okay. It's not, um, you know, enough for you to say you're clean, or it's not enough to have really pretty packaging or uh, a millennial font. It really has to be results driven. So, do you feel like the competitive landscape is becoming more fervent, or do you think that there is a lot of space for others to grow in
1: in this category? It's really hard. You know, you know, the cost to, to enter the category is a lot lower, but in order to break through, it's a lot harder. So it's, there are new brands every day. There are new celebrity brands, there's new, new brands coming from every place every day. And I, and I think what's, what cuts through the clutter is, at the end of the day, solving a need with, with an innovative type of product. And I think that's, that's been our strength and that will, that will continue.
0: You mentioned celebrity brands, Ron. I'm wondering, you know, you obviously have your own brand. You have fans who are celebrities, influencers. What made you want to sign on as a consultant for Hailey Bieber's Line Road? You know, some would say, you know, you've got your own brand, you're, you've got your hands full there. What made you think that this was a really, like, simpatico relationship?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So Haley, Haley reached out to me early last year. Uh, she was conceptualizing a brand, but she knew... She was smart enough to know that she's not a chemist and she's not a dermatologist. She loves skincare. She always has. It's something that's been passed down uh, to her from her from her her mom and, and, and other family members. She needed to align herself with someone who really was on the ground understanding product ingredients and products, et cetera. So she reached out, I heard her story, and I said, Haley, I'm I'm completely compelled. And I really want to partner with you on on this and help you develop uh, something really exciting. So that's how it started. And she said to me, well, Ron, in in return, I know you have a a great brand. I love your products. I would like to help support you. So I'd love to try your products. And that's how that barter, if you will, uh, arose and that partnership arose. And and it it continues to today. Do you think
0: that 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 road and beauty set have had a halo effect on one another?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and, and just to talk a little bit about that, I think we both have been seeing an increase in in, in sales uh, because of that uh, partnership.
0: What does growth look like to you, Ron, right now? You know, obviously, I don't know what you can share in terms of hard figures, but you know, how is the brand doing in retail and on your D2C site?
1: Well, the high, on the high note is certainly the expansion with Ulta Beauty. That's where we're, the, really the tremendous amount of growth is going is to occur. We're going to see if, uh, about a 40% lift this year compared to last year. So we're super excited about that. And most of that is going to come because of the, the expansion within Ulta Beauty on the not so great side is D2C. So I think I think you know that a lot of brands are struggling, especially the, the digital native brands. They're seeing you know this whole reset with the iOS update and seeing you know the being able to, to, to find customers and acquire them at a at a lower media cost has been really, really challenging. A lot of brands have cut back. We've experienced it as well. Uh, fortunately we weren't diversified enough in our channel strategy to make sure that we could see lifts other other places. So it's, it's, a, it's a focus to, of course, grow all to beauty and expand and do well there, but also still try to stabilize our direct-to-consumer business as well.
0: What about social media, Ron? How has that maybe impacted sales, whether it's on Instagram Reels or TikTok? I mean, is that really translating to sales yet?
1: Yeah, we're seeing that be more upper funnel. It's more awareness. And I think the, the the key thing there is to to leverage content that comes out of, you know, TikTok and, and, and Instagram, and leverage that on our channels to drive awareness and conversions. So that's that's how we look at it. I think I think it's 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 where we have to play, for the awareness building piece and the brand building piece. But I think at the end of the day, we're, you know, we we're, people are going to really buy after seeing your product, your story multiple times And you have to be. You have to be wherever they are and capture them, you know, wherever that might take place, whether it's through local Ultimate beauty, or if it's on aona.com.
0: I remember an ex- Estée Lauder executive said to me, I think it was like you have to see the same brand 5 to 10 times for you to remember it to affect a purchase. It's wild to me that that's still the case, but I imagine that because of how cluttered everything is and how everyone's everywhere, you really have to do that to stand out. Is that how you feel?
1: Absolutely, and that's why the social component is really key in terms of that upper funnel, initial brand awareness. You know, you wanna get them engaged there and then continue to hammer home and double down on, on messaging points to get them to, hey, I've heard of that brand before. Let me check it out. And again, we've gotta hit them over again, over and over again share messages uh, that, that are compelling.
0: So you're founder, you're CEO, and you're also still formulating these products, Ron. Are you growing your team? Are you hoping to get a CMO in there or another formula, formulator in there You know to help balance the load?
1: Yes, yes and yes. Uh, we're, we're, we're on the search for a CMO. That'll help 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 uh, take a big load off of my plate because I, cur- I currently run all run all the marketing and social for the brand, as well as formulate and and, and then being the spokesperson. So absolutely, uh, it's definitely on something we're planning to do in the next month or two.
0: And what about investment, Ron? Because you know I imagine you have just like retailers, a lot of investors are you know giving you calls and knocking on your door and sending you emails i imagine that that'll be very crucial as you kind of try to break out even further can you tell me a little bit about that
1: yeah so we we did close a seed round a few months ago so we're super excited about that again it's it's part it's part of this of scaling that you know cash flow is really critical and again as we expand with you know a big retail like ulta beauty Having, having the cash to be able to invest in inventory as well as in-store sales support is really critical for us. So that that was the need. That's a, the big need we had for, for that funding. So we're super excited about that. And now we've got to focus, focus, focus and deliver results.
0: Ron, this is a question I ask to a lot of newer founders, but I'm wondering, you know, what advice would you give to someone who is thinking about doing this themselves, whether they're an executive at a Lauder or at an Avon or a Revlon, you know, sitting behind the scenes or someone who, you know, just loves the category?
1: Yeah, A lot of entrepreneurs and want, want to be founders approach me and ask me, what's, what's the advice that I have, just like you've asked me. And I think my response is, is the same because I hear a lot of ideas. The, the key thing is, are those ideas, have they been vetted? Have they been researched, tested to make sure they're strong? Because I, th- I think that's, that's a mistake I see some entrepreneurs making. They think they have a good idea, but they haven't, they haven't really tested it out to make sure. Is it really what consumers want? Is it what you think they want, or is it really what they want? So that's what I urge all entrepreneurs to do. Test, test, test make sure your product is has a market fit consumers are looking for it that it's it's unique it's compelling it's relevant all of those things are key things to make sure that you have in place before you go and put the time and money because it's a lot of time it's a lot of money it's a big big commitment and you should only do that and pursue that if you have the data showing that this is your idea is strong unique and compelling
0: is it really hard being a founder today?
1: <laughs> harder, harder than ever. It, it's it's one of those days where it's one of those things where you have in a day you could have the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And I'll tell you what gives me the highest of highs when I get feedback from consumers. We, I just got this note from a consumer who she literally said, "You know, I saw your ads on Instagram a couple of times, and I was hesitant to buy your product." I finally did. This product transformed my skin. I cannot stop telling people about it. And when I and this was an Instagram sh- shot, she held up the bottle of our vitamin C serum and she and she captioned it with that, with those notes. That was a save. I saved that to my phone. I shared that to my team. And I said, this is why we get out of bed every day. This is what keeps us going. It keeps us going because we can help transform consumers' skin. And at the same t- part of the day, later part, later part of the day, I could have, oh, you know, we have, you know, our, our warehouse lost inventory or a shipment's going to be late, and then it's the worst thing ever. <laughs> so those, that's what happens in the life of an entrepreneur. You have the highest of highs where you feel so gratified and so you feel so. Excited about what you do, and then you have a low moment where it's like, "Oh my god, this is a wreck! I can't deal with this anymore," and you're ready to pack it in, all in the same day, sometimes in the same hour. <laughs> so that's the roller coaster ride entrepreneurs are on.
0: And I imagine, you know, I, I read something the other day, or I heard something. I'm forgetting where it was, but you know. In the good times, you know, when there was no inflation, when there was no supply chain issues or a recession on the loom, you know, it was great to be a founder. You know, you you were on the covers of magazines, you were at speaking at events, but it's going to be really, really hard. As, as much as you're talking about how hard it is now, I imagine the next six months are going to be challenging for all founders. Do you think so?
1: All, absolutely. Again, we're, we're, we're in a world now where we don't know what's going to come next. Who thought there would be a pandemic? Whoever thought that? So so now we now we have to think. We don't know what is going to be World War III, major recession. We have no idea. Locusts, another <laughs> another pox. We, you know, we have no idea what's going to be hurled at us. So we, we really have to just you know, seize the day, take it one step at a time, and be prepared for anything, literally anything, because it likely will and can happen.
0: Thank you so much, Ron, for being here. It was such a great conversation.
1: Likewise, Priya, Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, that means if you haven't subscribed, please hit that button.